What's cooking, everybody? Episode 52 of the Slipping Weed Podcast. Uh, Going to be talking a little bit about Joe Smith's performance this past weekend. Uh, potential matchup between Oscar Valdez and Shakur Stevenson. Terrence Crawford suing Bob Arum and Top Rank. Uh, and a preview of a couple fights this weekend. So let's get right into it. Smith gets a ninth round stoppage over uh, late late replacement Steve Giffard, who I was not familiar with. Um, I know that initially uh, he was supposed to fight. I think it was Callum Johnson, who had I think he had previously had fought Arthur Betterbeev. Um, so obviously, being a last minute replacement. There's the potential of unpredictability, but there's also, you know what I mean, sometimes you can just get an opponent that's not at the same level as the original opponent. Um, not saying that that's Jafraud necessarily, but it did seem like uh, Jafraud's strategy to to maintain that high guard with really pretty minimal head movement, you know, that's a tough style to fight Joe Smith with because he's the kind of guy, man, I mean, He's going to let his hands go, whether it's pretty or whether whether it's ugly. You know what I'm saying? So if you're standing there giving him, you know, any kind of stationary target, he's going to be happy to take you up on that. You know what I'm saying? Pound your gloves, pound your arms, pound your elbows, pound your shoulders. You know what I'm saying? Pound you in the body. And a lot of it might not be scoring at first, but you know what I'm saying? After a little bit, shit is scoring. So... And part of why it's scoring is because your arms start to drop. The fatigue of absorbing all of that, even if you're not taking it, you know, in scoring areas, absorbing that much punishment from a guy who hits like that is not, it can't be a good strategy. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, Jafard was pretty game, but it felt like he, once he started to wilt, it was like kind of a downhill, um, you know, Joe, Joe Smith got some downhill momentum going. And, and close the show. And it just, it seemed like once Jafrard, you know, once once Jafrard had felt everything he had and, and he wasn't able to respond in the way he wanted to, I just don't think he had the juice anymore. And and Smith kind of beat him into submission. Um, he was hitting Smith good, too, in, in certain exchanges. I just think that, you know, mixing it up a little bit and not not standing directly in front of him you know, taking literally every shot right on the gloves over and over and over again. It was just like, you know, give me like a little movement. My hair is fucking crazy today. Give me a little movement with the fucking high guard. Even if you're not weaving punches all together, even if you're just kind of slipping to the side to take some of the momentum off. I mean, he was straight up. 
high guard taking it all on here. And Joe Smith is a is a big strong guy, you know. When I spoke with Otis Griffin, you know, he was like that dude is like a freaking moose. He just that he's so strong. He's like a heavyweight. You know what I'm saying? So that can't that that just can't be the strategy going into a fight with him. I think that somebody more elusive and somebody who's more capable of capitalizing on some of Smith's defensive flaws um, would have an easier time with him. I think that, but here's the thing too about Joe Smith, and I, I admit this openly, I, there's been multiple fights now where I've been wrong about him, where I think I, there's no reason that he should be able to win this fight, and then he does. So the way I see it, unless you're, I think, a genuinely great fighter, I don't know that you can beat him. You know what I'm saying? You, you're going to have to be elite level because the the I think how hard he hits his motor, he actually has some decent boxing skills. So if he needs to get up on his toes for a little bit, he can do that. It's not what he's great at, but he can do it. Um, he actually has a decent little jab that he uses way more than he did early in his career. I think he's his boxing skills have developed. Actually, it's easy to think that he's just you know like a like a a, a plotter, aggressive you know, come for a kind of guy, but I think he actually has another wrinkle to him. All that being said, you know, he's already fought Dimitri Bivol and lost pretty wide. Um as far as the as as far as Arthur Betterbeev is concerned, I you know, to me, if Smith was able to beat him, that would be a massive upset. And I think would put him in a completely different category. Because beating older Bernard Hopkins, you know, again, it's a great win. I didn't think he was going to win. Beating Jesse Hart, it's a great win. I didn't think he was going to win that fight. So he's done that already. But to beat somebody, you know, as dominant as Bethabiev, now, I, I just don't see that happening, honestly, if I'm being brutally honest. And I hope one day I could have somebody like Joe Smith on this show. Um, but I just, I think that Bethabiev has all of the strength and physical toughness shit that Joe Smith has, but he's got a more refined boxing IQ and, a, and, and refined skills that I think once those two things collapse or uh, uh, collide, you know what I'm saying? I just think that Bethar Biev is going to be very dominant in that fight at, at a certain point. You know, I think Joe can have some luck early in the fight and maybe take a couple rounds, maybe take the first three, three or four. But better be of it's like really only a matter of like once he hits you in the body is when the fight changes. Once he catches you in the body, the shit changes immediately. The whole dynamic of the fight, whatever boxing you were doing, however aggressive you were being, once he lands a clean body shot, it just changes the whole demeanor of the fight and the whole demeanor of his opponent. Um, you know, and as far as Joe Smith fighting Canelo, I don't I think to a certain extent, that's a, a mismatch. I think that Canelo would be very dominant over Joe Smith. The the only problem, though, and I and I don't and even David Benavidez, I don't think he could beat. You know, I think Callum Smith might be an interesting matchup to because I think Smith has shown a, a more explosiveness at light heavyweight. I think. Um, the the thing is, even if I don't think he can beat any of those guys, he's getting to into a position where he deserves the fights. 
you know, because he's he's beating all the a lot of the guys that you would have to beat to get up to that level. So whether or not any of us think he can win, I think Joe Smith is going to get to a point where he deserves these big fights. Um, and we know for a fact he's entertaining, so we don't have to worry about that. We know this guy comes to fight, and um, I, I really wish him nothing but the best. I wish he, I, I hope he gets a big fight. I really do. I would love to see, you know, a New York Long Island boy really fucking make some shit happen. So I'm rooting for you, champ. Um, I also read this morning that potentially April 30th we're gonna get fucking Oscar Valdez versus Shakur Stevenson. Which is the best fight you can make at 130 right now, by far. You know, especially I think about the level of sharpness that Valdez showed in the Birchelt fight. If that guy shows up, like we're in for really a special fight, I think, especially tactically. It's not going to be a Gotti Ward fight. These guys are too skilled, they're too talented. They have they they bring too much. They're not gonna get hit that clean that often. But I think this is really has the this is two guys that are, you know, I think Valdez is at his absolute peak right now. I think that Shakur is coming into his peak a hundred percent, particularly um after the Jamel Herring fight. I just love this matchup, man. Shakur Stevenson is the epitome of a young master boxer. I mean, the kid can do everything. His defense is fucking flawless. Um, I think he actually has a, some pop. I think his his power is underrated. It's just that his style doesn't lend itself to knockouts as much. But I do think that he hits hard. It's like guys don't just come forward against him. He's not a feather fist. You know what I'm saying? He's got some power that'll fucking get your attention. Um, and And Valdez, again... You know, he has, there are times where he can get drawn into a brawl, but I just think that the level of IQ that he showed against Burchelt and the jab and the foot movement and all that, I'm telling you, if that guy shows up, he's a problem for anybody, man. Anybody, including Shakur. Um, so going under the assumption that the best version of Oscar Valdez shows up for this fight, I think this is going to be a genuine classic. You're going to see boxing at its absolute finest. And I think it's going to be win, lose, or draw. It's it's going to just affirm Shakur Stevenson's greatness. You know what I'm saying? Because he's, now he's fighting a legitimate, undefeated young champion in his prime as well. You know, it's a real statement win here. For either of these guys. This is a career-defining statement win. Even though they, I think they both kind of have one to this point. You know, for Shakur, you would say it's the Jamel Herring fight, his last fight. I think for Valdez, you would have to say it's the Burchelt fight. But a win against each other is sweeter than either of those. Plus, they both got belts, so we got a unification here. Um, this one's a big deal, man. I'm excited about this one. So April 30th, hopefully... We're going to see Oscar Valdez and Shakur Stevenson. Um, this this next upcoming weekend we got on, I think it's on fucking Showtime. I'm going to check that, and if I'm wrong, I'll fucking, I'll put words somewhere. Um, but on Showtime, we got Gary Russell finally coming back against Mark Magsayo. <sighs> He's an elusive guy, this one, man. He's fought like five times in the last seven years or whatever 
but he keeps he he holds on to that belt somehow. He just always fights his mandatory right like an hour before he would stop being champion. He's like, nope, I'm gonna defend the belt. You know what I mean? I don't understand the dude's inactivity. Um, I wish I knew more. I would love to know his reasoning. I'm sure there's like some good reason for why this guy basically fights once a year, and this is gonna be his first fight in two years. Um, obviously the pandemic being likely the biggest reason for that, but pandemic or no pandemic, Gary Russell fights once a year since he's gotten that belt. So here's your once a year, Gary Russell. He's fighting a young, tough opponent named Mark Magsayo. You know, Magsayo just came off of a really tough fight with Julio Ceja. Um, he got dropped a couple of times, I think, or dropped at least once. And then, um, when it looked like he was about to be down and out, he levels Seha, which has happened to Seha in a couple of his fights where he's up and he's ahead. <clears throat> but I think that Julio Seha is a really tough fighter who's always going to give any young prospect, any contender, anybody, he's going to give him a tough fight. You look at the draw with Brandon Figueroa and what Figueroa has been able to do you know, since his fight. With Seha. Um, I think beating Julio Seha is actually a really nice win. I, I looked at it more at the beginning as like, damn, you know, that what that was a tough performance. He got hit a lot. But who doesn't have a tough fight with Julio Seha? I mean, the guy gave Guillermo Rigondeaux all he could handle for eight fucking rounds. Um, so I think that that's actually a, a better win than I had given it credit for at first. Um, because he had to dig deep, you know, and he had to stop a guy in a fight that he was clearly losing and probably couldn't win on the cards at that point. Um, did it in the 10th round. And it was like a, a real, like, we know something about his character now. We know that he can be down and and rise to the occasion. You know what I'm saying? Um, but all that being said, man, I think that Gary Russell's probably going to win this fight pretty handily. Um, as much as he's been inactive, you know, there's drawbacks to inactivity, but there's also pluses to that. He's taken so little punishment over the last five years relative to most pro fighters at his level that I would imagine he's pretty preserved if he's staying in the gym and all that. So I think you're going to see a really good performance from him. I also think in his more recent fights, his competition has been underrated. The the uh the guy from I think he's from Indonesia, uh Nyambayar, Tug Nyambayar. You know, that dude is really tough. Jojo Diaz has turned out to be a legitimate, you know, top ten lightweight contender for real and gave Devin Haney a great fight, you know, and, and Gary Russell was able to outbox him pretty clearly. So when he gets in the ring He's not he's not fighting slouches, he's not fighting bums. I don't get the feeling like he's ducking anybody. I just think it's hard to get him in the ring. You know, and I, I would love to see him in with Leo Santa Cruz. I would love to see him in with some of these guys at one thirty, be it Valdez, be it Stevenson. Um you know, he's got a decent amount of options, but at, at this point a lot of the the other guys that were stars at featherweight when he first got a belt, a lot of them have moved up and moved on. Um, so I think in order for him to really get a big fight, he is going to have to move up and wait. 
aside from that, you know, I had heard at one time last year that he was in negotiations to fight Ray Vargas. I think that's that's still a really interesting fight, man. Ray Vargas is a tall, long guy, great boxing skills, knows how to keep a fight on the outside. He's very difficult to hit. He borders on, not not to me personally, but to the average fan, I think he probably borders on boring sometimes. You know what I'm saying? But I think tactically, he provides challenges to Gary. Um you know, Navarrete is still out there. I don't. I can't imagine he's going to be a featherweight for too long. But I would love to see him get in and get that fight with Gary Russell. So th- there are fights at featherweight for him that are intriguing that I would love to see, that a lot of boxing fans would love to see. But as far as the, the big star fights, I mean, he's probably going to have to move up and wait to get those. You know what I'm saying? Um, last thing I wanted to talk about this week is the uh, the Terrence Crawford lawsuit. Um, Terrence Crawford suing Top Rank and Bob Arum. I believe what I read on ESPN is for $5.4 million. Check me on that. Might not be true. I saw in the New York Post it said almost $10 million, so I'm not sure what the exact number is. Um, and and the, there's very specific reasons for that. One of them is that in the second year, of his two-year contract extension, Top Rank didn't fulfill the second fight of that year, I guess. You know, the the five I think the amount of money is generally for that contract violation and for not for for really failing to to put a fight together with Errol Spence. You know, a lot of the suit says that there's racial bias. Um and I just think it's really unfortunate that you know, Terrence Crawford's such a talented fucking guy. He's on the back end of his career. I'm not I'm not saying he's close to retirement or slipping, but just he's on the back half at least. You know, that instead of getting the biggest fights of his career and being celebrated and whatever, that he has to be in court with some fucking promoter. You know what I'm saying? And um you know, and, and Floyd really laid the blue the, the blueprint on how to not have to deal with this if you can promote and market yourself. Um, but that's not the path that Terrence took. But I think a lot of what's in the suit, from what I've read, it sounds somewhat justified. You know, I've seen the interviews with Bob Arum where he said, I could buy a fucking house with the money I've lost on this kid. And, and while Terrence is under contract, you know, kind of going out of his way to talk about how unmarketable he is instead of being his promoter and saying, look, I got the best fucking welterweight in the world and everybody's ducking him and really speaking up and speaking up for him. You know what I'm saying? And I've seen those interviews. I saw the interview where he's talking about Floyd and he's like in the ring, he's boring as shit, but outside the ring, he shoots up cars, whatever. But you know, he's fucking, he doesn't do anything in the ring, you know? It's like the the best comparison that I can give is like when Phil Jackson, you know, everyone knows Phil is the coach of all of the great like Michael Jordan Bulls teams, you know what I mean? But when he was uh, uh, GM of the Knicks, he seemed real comfortable and in a lot of ways went out of his way to publicly shit talk Carmelo Anthony. You know what I'm saying? And that shit's not cool, man. Like, you're supposed to be trying to elevate your guys. And if there's conversations like that that need to be had, you know, those got to be private. 
but this whole idea that the fighter is is your employee or whatever and now oh it's your job to market yourself isn't that why guys have promoters though like it obviously helps um if a guy promotes himself if he's outspoken if he knows how to you know do a lot of media shit and be entertaining of course it helps it can't hurt but if the talent is there What's standing between that fighter and stardom is a big fight, is a is a big career-defining fight. And Top Rank has failed to give him that. You can blame PBC. You can blame other any other promoter which didn't want to make the fight. But at the end of the day, that's not who Terrence Crawford had a contract with. He had a contract with Top Rank. And from what it sounds like, they didn't keep him as active as he as he wanted to or expected to be. Um, and I've, I've heard for myself and you can go and look these up, you know, Bob Arum has shown no regret about saying in an interview that Terrence Crawford is not marketable or that Terrence Crawford is not a pay-per-view star and somehow removing all responsibility of that. Like you don't bear any of that fucking burden for him not being a pay-per-view star. You know that you're you're almost arguing. You're, it feels like he's making the argument for leaving promoters. It's like, oh, I can't market you as well as you can market yourself. He's telling you what the fuck to do, you guys. For all the young fighters out there, Bob Barham told you what to do. He literally said, you can promote yourself better than I can promote you. Right? If his job is to promote the fighter in the fight, and they fail to do that on their end, you know, but the but but it, but then it's the fighter's fault. You know, that's fucking crazy. He's literally telling you you're better off without a promoter. Promote yourself. We can't do it the way you need us to. That's fucking nuts, dude. And then this is what really bothered me, right? So on the Joe Smith card, the commentators, Bernardo and Mark Kriegel and Tim Bradley, they start talking about this shit, like doing like a news coverage. And about 10 seconds in, I'm like, this is such fucking bullshit. This is a top ranked card. Like there's, there's no way there's any kind of unbiased anything going on right here. This is where boxing gets real cesspooly and kind of incestuous and everyone's kind of mixing it up together you know what i'm saying like mike guy telling me about fighters having lunch with the judges or promoters taking judges and officials out to to big lunches before a fight knowing who the a side and the b side is you know what i'm saying this is where that fucking mush happens so they're given the coverage. Tim Bradley does the no. I've never experienced any racism whatsoever. You know, they that Mark Creel kind of alludes to how ridiculous the fucking racism is. And like they only really give a quote from. But I just thought it was fucking bullshit, bro. It was fucking bullshit. It was a it was a fucking weak ass fucking pussy ass attempt to cover Bob Arum and cover his ass. And if me saying that kind of fucking hurts my place in the sport, so be it, man. I'm here to be an honest fan and to keep it real, you know, with anybody who's listening to me. I'm not here to fucking give anybody smooches and shit. I'm not here to kiss anybody's ass. I think that Top Rank fucked up. 
I think they fucked up. So whatever that amount of money comes out to be, so be it. But definitely, I would not take this moment to feel bad for Bob Arum. I would not take this moment to go how malicious these accusations are. I think you should look at Terrence Crawford's career and what it has amounted to in this amount of time. And there's your fucking answer. Look at the talent and look at what has been done with his career. That's all you need to know. It's so fucking obvious. So, um, anyways, that's episode fucking, that's episode 52 of the Slipping Weed Podcast. Thank you for being with me as always, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.